Well, I'd love to talk this morning about, about the Buddha, of course, and about his, the, the primary, the heart of his teaching, which he said was about suffering and the end of suffering. Suffering sometimes seems like a pretty strong word, and it's a translation that we make of the Pali word. Pali is the language that was spoken at the time of the Buddha. Um, the Pali word dukkha, which can be translated in a variety of ways. If you look in the Pali Dictionary, it's pages and pages of, of definition and stories about uh, shades of meaning of the word. Uh, it's, it's, it's generally, most commonly translated as suffering, but unsatisfactoriness. And I guess etymologically, uh, it's, uh, the word refers to a wheel that's off-center, so it's rolling along, going ka-clunk, ka-clunk which is our lives, <laughs> uh, pretty much. It's not our experience. Um, not the way we would script it if we were in control. Uh, so the Buddha said he taught about that unsatisfactoriness, the dissatisfaction, the disappointment, and the end of that. Suffering sometimes... Uh, because he talks about old age, sickness, and death as, the, as the, the deepest discomforts and sufferings in our lives. And to teach us to, to see clearly those things, because we tend not to want to. I you know for, for years I sort of thought the... Um, he was overstating it. <laughs> you know, suffering and the end of suffering. Uh, but the more clearly you see just just uh, experience the, the unsatisfactory nature of it. The good stuff doesn't last, and um, like certainly like we'd want. And the, the unpleasant stuff, the stuff we don't want, um, comes and goes as well. And the path to the end of suffering, the Eightfold Path, uh, is, is really the Buddha's, the Buddha's teaching. He presents the elements of that path in a variety of ways. Um, And I'd like to, I'd like, and highlighting different aspects of them. And I'd like to talk about uh, a set of five uh, elements which uh, he referred to as the, the, uh, the powers that we have the spiritual powers, the mental powers. Uh, are the faculties, the qualities of mind that we use to cultivate our mind and where those come from. Because if we can become aware of those specific qualities uh, and can cultivate them, then we have a chance of uh, helping ourselves out uh, to not making things worse for ourselves and others. So I'm going to talk about the five faculties, and there's a lot of overlap with, with the Eightfold Path. Um, the five elements, I'll just run through them really quickly. Uh, and then we're going to spend a lot of time going back and forth among them. The first is faith, which is a word that lights people up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Faith and energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Of those elements, the one that's not a, a part of the Eightfold Path is faith. And I'll talk a little bit about 
about faith. But these are the, these are the qualities that we use to wake ourselves up. Buddha's often talked, you know, his, his awakening is talked about as awakening from a dream. And, you know, if you, uh, I was uh, pouring through the, the, uh, the suttas and the, the scriptures and came across this phrase that the Buddha used to describe wanting. He calls it contemplating gratification, the dream of getting what we want, <clears throat> how we would like it to be. And we live in that dream and in the strategies and the efforts and the tactics to, to try to realize what we want. And so these, these faculties, these qualities, are the qualities to wake us up from the dream. The dream is it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with it, but it does provide a major source of suffering for us. I'll give you an example of how, how the dream works to bring us away from attention to the present. When we're sitting, the way we were sitting, trying to use our, the physical sensations of our breath to keep us grounded in just what's here. Um, another, another model, another way things can happen, I was coming back from uh, San Jose. On, I live in Davis. I was coming back from San Jose over the weekend. And Saturday, traffic, I turn on the radio and look for the traffic reports. And they say, you know, mattress in the road, crash on the shoulder, traffic backed up. And in my head, I'm going 886, 85, 80, 80, you know, what, you know, the Carquinas Bridge. I'm off in the maps of, of, you know, the Bay Area freeways, you know, um, which is a, you know, it's a parallel to the way we spend our lives day to day, off in the maps of what we want, what we're trying to get, what we're angling for, the business we've got to take care of, the problems that are pressing. <clears throat> and we're not noticing our relationship, the stress. My gosh, do, do, I, do I do 680, 580? There's always a knot there. It's at five Saturday. At five. You know, we're just lost in those, in those thoughts. So these are the faculties, the, the qualities of our uh, mind, they're, they're qualities that we have that are already ours. The idea is to, to identify them, become clear about them, and then work to enhance them. And they're interrelated. So sometimes when people talk about these qualities, you know, I've, I've heard people do a whole talk, or actually more than one, on just one of these qualities, mindfulness or, or faith. And what I'd like to do is to sort of step back and take a, a broader view and sort of move among them some to see some of the relationships between them. Because basically these qualities are the qualities that get us motivated to practice, that bring us to practice, that bring our practice uh, to the point where we can see what's going on in our experience. The Buddha said that um, the cause of the dissatisfaction in our lives is, is desire, wanting. And wanting works sort of, you know, Ajahn Juni and uh, a time monk talks about it sort of like uh, a moth and a flame. When the moth sees the flame, all he sees is the flame and is totally compelled by the flame. 
everything else is dark. And it goes right at the flame. And the moth isn't aware of the relationship, the compulsion that it feels to move towards the flame. And we don't notice that relationship to the object of desire or aversion. So the, you know there there is there is an issue of whether we need whether we need to awaken. What we understand the Buddha to have done, and that's really important. Each of us probably has a slightly different version. Slightly, so it could be completely different. Uh, you know, there are people um, in on the planet, probably not in this room, but who regard the Buddha as a divine creature. He never claimed that himself. He said he was just like us. And what he did, he did with the same capabilities that we have. He was nothing nothing special. Well, (laughs) he was downplaying, (laughs) I guess. But the idea is that this is not something that is impossible for us. How do we understand him, just as a person? What do we understand this awakening to be? Awakening from this dream, awakening from this dream of gratification, of getting what we want. Awakening to freedom. You know, if, if we are, if when pleasant experience arises for us, and we feel compelled to hold on to it, or unpleasant experience arises, and we just we want to make it go away, even if it's just slight discomfort in the body, you know, it's a little too cool, change my position, get a new job, move to another country. I mean, you know, we can alter our lives in, in, from the most minor to the grossest ways. If we're compelled to respond to pleasant and unpleasant experience that way, we're not free. Are we free to, to have something unpleasant arise in our lives and just observe it, not to, not to try to push it away? Are we batted around by the succession of pleasant and unpleasant experience? We don't control what happens. We don't, it's like the weather. We don't control the weather. You know, it arises, the storms come, the sun comes out. You know, and if we're if we're compelled to react, you know, to every pleasant experience by trying to get more of it, then we're not free. So the issue, the this first item, faith, is huge because if we don't think that anything's going to happen from this practice, we're probably not going to do it. I'm going to say, what's the point? And yet, we haven't yet achieved, I don't suspect anyone here is a fully awakened being, just speaking personally. (laughs) So so none of us have, have reached that place where we think it's possible to, to get. In faith in, in Buddhist practice, you know, for a lot of for a lot of us, we come to, to, to Buddhism 
in a way, on the run from the kind of faith that um, uh, the religions of our of our childhood. You know, this is I was I was thinking about reading the the credo from the the Catholic Mass. You know, these are the things we believe. Buddha's not interested in anything like that. The only elements of, of faith, I mean, these are belief, an assent to something that you don't have direct experience about. The only things that, you're, that you probably need in order to practice is a belief that doing something makes a difference. You know, if, you, if you go to sit down and play, to, to learn to play a musical instrument, and you're doing the scales, da 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 and you're over and over and over, it takes a while. But there's some faith, confidence, sometimes the word sadha is translated as confidence, that if you keep doing it, you'll eventually be able to play the scale or learn a language or master a golf swing or, you know, learn how long to saute the onions before they are are, uh, translucent and before they burn and, you know, develop, develop some experience. You have a faith that you learned that practicing... Uh, accomplishes something, that it makes a difference. And we pretty much already think that, I think. You know, we undertake learning of any kind uh, in that way. And, and, and then the other element is some sort of understanding of what the Buddha accomplished and what we're working on. It could be anything from... Um, just a reduction of stress in our lives, find some more peace. Or I went into a, a, a bookstore, um, a, a Buddhist bookstore in the city on Van Ness uh, one time, and uh, it's a Chinese Buddhist bookstore, tradition very different from the one in which we practice here. And the, the young woman behind the counter asked if I knew what I was looking for, Um, you hope (laughs) and then her comment was well we're we're looking for um, you know a better life in the next incarnation could be anything in between you know a little bit more relaxation and the next incarnation on a high throne of some sort whatever whatever anything in between what do we think the Buddha, Buddha accomplished and what what kind of an idea do we have about what that might what that might be for ourselves? You know, what kind of trust, what kind of trust do we have? Confidence do we have? Uh, when it comes to the Eightfold Path, for example, the Eightfold Path has three elements, which are. Uh, about speech and action and livelihood, right speech, action and livelihood. Do we think that cleaning up our act, that practicing some kind of moral restraint, do we think, do we have any confidence that that will make things better for us and others? Do we? No. It's an element of faith. To the extent that we've seen it, you know, work out, uh, there's some confirmed faith. In that sense, it's almost like, you know, um, working with a map maker. Has anybody here been to... Um, I, I love Alice Springs because... You guys know where Alice Springs is? Alice Springs. 
It's in the geographical heart of Australia. And I think it, there must be, you know, 2,000 miles of desert in every direction. And the only people who want to be there, I think, is the CIA. Um, or NASA or somebody, you know, somebody who likes to sit out there with a bunch of antennas and, and listen. Or, uh, I, I think it's pretty much a, well, there must be, who knows? Do we think it's there? Yeah, we think it's probably there. If we followed the map, we'd probably get there. So there's some faith in the map maker and in the map making process. Even if, even if we haven't been there or to Timbuktu. No. Anybody been to Timbuktu? It's there, right? <laughs> yeah. And we'll take your word. <laughs> and, the, and the word of the map maker. So we're, we're talking about um, you know, an opportunity to, to take the words of the Buddha and say, you know, what is he pointing at? What kind of a map is he laying out? I listen to, what is it, KGO radio, and they say, don't, you know, 580 crash backed up into the Altamont. And, uh, uh, anybody else a, a traffic junkie? <laughs> I spend a lot of time on the road in the Bay Area. Yeah. And we trust that, even if we haven't been there. We have some faith that the, the practice that we're doing, the sitting and paying attention to our, to our mind as it, as it works, that that's going to make a difference for us. You know, there's a way in which um, when we notice, you know, we sit down to, to, to follow our, our breath and all of a sudden we say, oh my gosh, you can't, it's not so easy. You know, here I am, you know, having a nice think. I thought I was going to have a meditation. I'm having a think. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, oh my gosh, that's a realization. That's a, that's a, a moment of, of insight. And we say, and that will fe- that that's a moment of wisdom. I, I'm not in control of this. You know, because if I, if, I, if I was, it would do what I want. I'd just sit there and pay attention to my breath. So that, that moment, and that moment of wisdom, that moment of insight feeds back. And we say, ah, okay. So it feeds back into the, into the faith in the sense of the maps that we've used so far have gotten us this far. So how far do we go with that? You know? I've, I've, heard, I've heard teachers say, well, I have faith in the Buddha, but to a po- up to a point. And at what point? At what point does faith shade into doubt? There's not a right or wrong here. It's just to explore where that is. So the Buddha says, on the night of his awakening, the first watch of the night, whatever that is, four hours, three hours? I don't know. He spent watching or looking at his past lives. How do we hold that? Just scratch our head. Is he filling dead time, sort of like CNN news? Or <laughs> so, well, there are three watches to the night. Had to do something before the four noble truths. So he's just sort of filler. Or, you know, how do we hold that? So we can be we can be all over the board here in terms of what we what we believe, what we think about what we're doing, what we think about the Buddha and his path. He said he was just like us. Does this mean something we can do? Do we have some confidence in that? 
Have we done enough to see that for ourselves? You know, these, that, that's important because this is what motivates us to do anything further. If we think it's pointless, we're probably not going to do it. We do it because we think there's some value. So there's value because we have this experience somewhere we understand the dissatisfaction, the disappointment with uh, our experience with our lives. And we're looking for uh, the same kind of solution that the Buddha was looking for. And he just, you know, he put it all on the line. He left everything. And he had a life that was lavish like ours. Here we are living in, it's, it's not bad given conditions on the planet. We're not in bad shape. He abandoned it all in order to, to figure the, you know, to try to come to a, a solution to the problem of uh, our suffering. To awaken from this dream, as it turned out, from this dream that creates so much dissatisfaction for us. Faith in the Buddha, you know, the Buddha realized this on his own. There's no external source here. He doesn't ask you to accept some intervening entity, being force, anything that's going to do it for you. It's something you have to do for yourself. And so the extent to which there is some confidence in, in the Buddha, some idea of who he, he was and what his accomplishment was, Built into that is the notion that it's up to us if we're going to solve it. He's, it's not going to be an answer where he says, you know, the meaning of life is... You know. Sylvia loves that little cartoon of the, you know, the New Yorker cartoon. She talks about it all the time. The, the guy who's climbed to the top of the mountain and there's the little guru sitting up there at the top and... And the caption is, uh, you know, if I knew the meaning to life, would I be sitting here on the top of a mountain in my underwear? <laughs> you know, um, you know, we're not looking at some idea, some phrase. And you go, ah, I'm, I'm awake, I'm awake. You know, uh, happily ever after, happily ever after. We are trying for that. You know, we'd like to just get it set up so that things would be cool. That in there somewhere, you know? Maybe get the, the right job or the right partner or the right president or the right presidential advisor. Yeah. Well, you just get it right, just get it set. You sort of have that going. So the idea is. Um, and you know, built into our to this vision, to this faith, this confidence in what we're doing, is the notion that it's up to us that we really have to do something, and that really is the source of the, the second of these qualities, which is energy. It takes energy. This is not downstream stuff. The Buddha referred to his path as the path upstream. It's against our. Um, our impulse is to reach for the pleasant stuff. 
and to push away the unpleasant stuff. And of course, you know, pleasant and unpleasant come back and forth, the guy cuts in on you in traffic, and you get the green light, and then the, the phone rings, and the left tire doesn't have enough air, and, the, my, and then you remember you forgot, and you forgot that you remembered. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just constant. And it takes energy, it takes energy. And, and there's a real important element here. Energy on behalf of delusion is going to make things worse. I think. <laughs> you know, if, if you think that, uh, um, I mean, we've all been in the situation where we mistake a situation and act on that and then we're embarrassed. So, base, you know, if we act on, on delusion, and we like to think of ourselves, so wisdom, wisdom plays in. These elements are all inter, intertwined. Wisdom, seeing things as they, as they are, is, is important. They're, they're all, they're all um, intertwined, and, and we like, we'll delude ourselves. We like to think that we are more interested in compassion than revenge, for example. But we all went through O.J., right? And what was our interest? Certainly the interest of the media. And, you know, is he going to get what's coming to him? Or is, is, he, going to, is, is he going to be convicted? You know, um, and how much time do we spend thinking about that? And how much with, with our hearts open to the Goldmans? You know, certainly some. But the compassionate response to them wasn't, for me anyway, it wasn't, not my experience, that that was the primary uh, component of that story. The this, this story was about, you know, celebrity and uh, getting away with murder and, um, you know, more tabloid kind of stuff. That was, you know, my experience and the experience of the media, for sure. Not that the Goldmans didn't show up. Um, an energy on behalf of those different intentions feels different because we're we're energizing different different intentions. You know, intention is really, um, from the Buddhist point of view, that's really where where the rubber hits the road. You know, if you, out of a pure heart, do everything you can to help someone, and it fails, you might feel bad. You might say, oh, no. But you won't feel remorse. did everything you could. You can't always be successful. That's just the way things are. But if you pull a punch or, or withhold, or, and then things go wrong, there's a possibility for remorse. The Buddha says intention is, is key. And so effort, energy, that's exerted on behalf of uh, an intention, it matters what the intention is. And so wisdom, being able to see clearly what will make things worse and what won't, is important. And, and, and of course, it's not enough just to know that energy is important, that exertion is important. You've got to do it. The quality of energy is 
a manifested energy. It's energy and effort that we, that we uh, express, that we do. <coughs> and we have a tendency to think if we get this list down, we'll be fine. You know, let's see, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, I've oh, got it, okay. Now we can move on to the next thing. It's not, it, you know, it's, it's important here. The efforting is really what's important. Because the power to, to wake ourselves up requires effort. The dream is really powerful. Being lost on the freeways or in the career path or in the family life or there's no place like home. No. However we understand home. The, element, the, the elements of practice here, effort, mindfulness, and, and concentration. Mindfulness is a word we use a lot. We talk about our, our practice as mindfulness practice. And we're actually um, we're translating the Pali word, which is sati, as mindfulness. And the word mindfulness is, is sort of seeped into the popular culture now. It's sort of, you know... Um, it sort of has a lot of meanings. One of the, one of the other translations for it is um, remembering, is, is recalling. And it's a sort of a counterintuitive uh, definition of the word because when we think of recalling or remembering, we think of ah, thinking back, remembering, you know, lost in a fantasy of memory. Right? But in this context, it means Remembering to be present, remembering to be paying attention to the present, because the opposite is forgetfulness. Forgetting to be present, instead being lost in visions of the future, what we want, what we don't want, memories of the past and our recollection of them, the sadness, the remorse, the, the, the joy sometimes. And, and just fantasies in the present, you know, what we'd like. Ah, yes. My, if I put the strawberries in with the cream and the, you know, we can be thinking about some pleasant experience we'd like. Forgetting to be just present with our thinking as thinking, with the sensations of our body as they are. To be present, to recognize that wanting, what that wanting feels like instead of being lost in the vision of fresh strawberry ice cream, which has been going on for me now for a while. (laughs) Um, You know, mindfulness is the one quality that the Buddha describes in the suttas. He says this is, this mindfulness skill is the one way, is the sole way to freedom. To see things as they are. <coughs> when you see things as they are, it's like seeing the weather as it is. You, just, you might put on a coat when it gets cold, but you don't get mad at the weather. I, although King Lear did, didn't he? he got out, he's just opened that whole thing. You know, so I guess it's not impossible. But um, we generally don't, don't get mad at the weather. Or at our, at, you know, at our experience. Um, 
what sucks us out of just being present and aware of the way things are? It's that wanting stuff. You know, there's a great story. It's a, it's a, I think it's a Greek myth. Any of you know the story of Atalanta? She was a hunter, and she was apparently pretty good, and um, and pretty strong and independent herself. And her father, I guess, was a king of some sort, right? And that, and uh, you know, she came of age, and her father says, "Well, now it's time to get married." And she says, oh, "Yeah, fat chance." And he said, "No, no, that's that's gonna. This is the deal." She said, "Well, okay, I'll tell you what." You find someone who can beat me in a foot race, and uh, I'll have them. But, you know, let's not just let them line up. Let's put, you know, there's got to be something at stake here. So if they lose, um, off with their head. Dad said, fine. And I guess um, she was an appealing enough uh, prospect that there were a few who tried and... um, and didn't make it. And then along came this guy named, I think his name was Hippomenes, right? Is that? Yeah. And uh, he, was, he was a little smarter. And so, they, in, my, in my mind, this is a hundred-yard dash or something. Okay. But, I mean, I suppose it could be a marathon. Nah, he wouldn't have so much of a chance in a marathon. It's got to be the dash. And so he has a confederate about halfway or two-thirds of the way down the track. And, the, you know, the, they didn't have a starting gun, but somebody said go, and they start running down the thing. And his confederate rolled some golden balls out onto the track in front of her. And they get her attention. And she slowed down to pick them up. And so much for, for marriage. <laughs> and we're just like that. We have... You know, we have our intention to get to the, to freedom, to be a, to be awake, and not not make things worse for ourselves and others. And then along comes something like an opinion. That's usually what gets us. <laughs> you know, something distracting. Well, it ought to be this way. Right? Some judgment about how I should be, you should be, it should, they should. You know, this is wrong. And then we get distracted, and the next thing you know, we're angry or upset or suffering in one way or another. It's that same kind of distraction. It's the distraction of wanting, that contemplating gratification, that dream, that awakening is awakening from. And of course, it's not, you know, this mindful, m- mindful moments appear. You know? The trick is to sustain it. So the fourth element there is, is uh, the word is samadhi, and it's translated as concentration frequently, but uh, Gil Fransdahl likes to translate it more as composure, stability of mind, stability of mindfulness. Sustain this mindfulness over some stretch of time, not just a flicker, but if you're going to see clearly, you want to watch as experience changes, arises, passes, changes, transforms. We want to be able to see not just the object 
of our desire, but our relationship to it. What does it feel like in the body? What kind of stories do we tell about it? Because the desires and the, the judgments are so often lost in stories. I'm thinking about talking about stories next week. Because stories contain, you know, in a hidden way, all of the, the judgments and the wants. So they're buried in in our stories, accounts of how things should be. But maintaining some kind of stability over time to this mindful awareness is important. And there are two ways to do that. Um, You can choose an object and work on keeping your mind locked in. Our concentration, sometimes we think of it that way, you know, just locked in, focused on, um, not, not straying, bringing it back, and often the, um, the um, object is the breath. Well, to stick with the breath, the sensations of the breath, they change, the in-breath, ah, out-breath, ah, you know, and look at the subtle difference there, ah, you know, the muscle movement there. You know, and if the mind starts to go after lunch is coming up or whatever, uh, we bring it right back and focus in and, and try... We, that's you know choosing to to keep the mind still in that way is different than what what's often referred to as choiceless awareness, where what we do is to keep the mind st- just still in the present and allow all the experience to arise and pass as a passing show, and where the where the attention goes it goes, but we don't lose our grounding in the present. We don't get sucked into the, to the fantasy that's presenting itself. So that kind of stability of mind is important. Stability um, over time for the mindfulness. And this is our practice. Energy exerted to maintain stability of mindfulness. To be able to see clearly the arising and passing of our experience as it is, just as it is with all the warts, sometimes it's not pretty. You know? And of course we don't like that. So then we try to change it, push it away. And we, you know, occasionally we make a dent, but often we make it worse. And the last element, uh, wisdom. Again, it's just seeing things, seeing things as they are. It's the fruit of the practice. <coughs> And the fruit of the practice includes the growth of, of more trust in the practice, so more, more faith in the practice. So it feeds back. You know, once you've been to Timbuktu, you say, well, you know, maybe Alice Springs is there. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I have sat and looked at two maps of... A, of uh, terrain in the Sierras, and one has a trail and one doesn't. Well, one's wrong, right? I mean, what, what, you know? So, what is what is our our faith in a particular map depends on our experience with it. It feeds back. So, the wisdom that that comes with our practice feeds back into our practice, into faith in the practice. So the general pattern is, if we have some belief that this practice will provide some relief 
some release, not just relief, but release. Relief in the relief changes the circumstances, changes the conditions. So we, so so we're not under pressure. We're not. But release means we're letting go. Doesn't matter what the conditions are. And that's really what we're looking for: is that peace that that is not dependent on conditions, that exists even in even in the midst of, of pain. And, and this understanding, this wisdom, is, is you know, in, it's the, the, first of the, the first element of the Eightfold Path, and it's the basis for our intention. Intention is formed f- out of our understanding. You know, based on how we understand things to be, we act out of that. And then our intention becomes the foundation for our our happiness or sadness, the remorse or whatever that we may experience subsequently. (coughs) These are um, these are the the tools that we have. We all we have them all. They're already within us. You know. in the Metta Sutta, the, the Buddha says, uh, let us not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. We know what that would be. If we contemplate any particular action we might take, we would know whether, you know in your heart, whether it's something that would be you know, acting out of greed and self-interest that might make things worse, and, or whether it would, it would add to the welfare and, and benefit of others and ourselves. We know that. These are the tools. They're already present. So the tools to cultivate. You know, to learn enough about the Buddha to, have, to build our conception of what he was doing and you know, the vision as motivation, inspiration. That's really what this faith stuff is about here. Inspiration to practice. And that practice is about efforting. It's not enough to know. To f- you, you, know you know the music man, that musical, the music, the think system? You know the story of the music man? He shows up in town and he's, uh, he's um, a con man and he's going to sell these uh, um, instruments to the kids, but he, he, gets, he falls in love, so he has to stay in town. And then he has to actually produce a band. But he was teaching the kids, while they pay him for the instruments, they teaching them um, the think system. You know, where you just, th- you just think about playing the musical instruments. And of course, at the end of the thing, <laughs> you know, he has to, the, when the instruments finally come, he says, okay, everybody think. Because um, they haven't had a lesson or anything, but he has to somehow prove Thinking about practice is not enough. (laughs) Practicing mindfulness will produce wisdom. Faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And that wisdom is the source of uh, um, that understanding that can be the basis for our freedom. So these are the faculties. These are the powers that we have. And 
when we think about our practice and, and trying to um, improve things for ourselves and others, for improving them in the sense of uh, reducing suffering, certainly not making things worse. These are the, these are the, uh, the faculties we've got to work with. So you guys know what to do. Let me just invite some questions. I've been rattling on here for a bit. Uh, questions or comments or uh, about these elements or about the practice of the Buddha or the weather forecast? <laughs> Please. This, uh, this idea of dreaming, mm-hmm. um, could you maybe also talk about another uh, aspect of dreaming where it's not delusion, but where it's it's uh, um, kind of aspiration or or the desire to uh, cultivate or to experience uh, uh, something. You know, daring to mm-hmm. dream. So. Ah, well, daring to dream is something different. You know. Um, a kind of dreaming that wouldn't necessarily be delusional it would be one uh, would be a, a form of um, recognition of the way things are. To, to understand, just understanding that satisfaction, the first noble truth is that dissatisfaction is built into our experience. If satisfaction is important to you, you're going to be dissatisfied. If it's not important, if it's okay for things to be unpleasant, then that's not unsatisfying. (laughs) But if it is, we'll be dissatisfied. So the kinds of dreams that are not helpful are the ones that, you know, if we're dreaming about happily ever after, something that will set things right, something that will make things okay, something that will overcome the first noble truth, the second noble truth is, is the cause, which is wanting, and the cessation of that wanting is not the same as getting what you want. Getting what you want, um, that's, that's, that's a dream uh, that, they, that sucks us in. And, and there's the, the even right understanding recognition of the impermanence of all of our experience and its inherent unsatisfactoriness. Recognizing that is still not anything to hold on to. You know, the Buddha describes his teachings as like a raft which we use to get to the other side of, of suffering. And when we get there, we get to the other side of the river. They, you don't carry the raft around on your head. You put it down, so so you know that's when you get into the 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 Zen stories with the people who are you know talking about not attaching to anything and emptiness and but I've seen I, I actually sat in a a meeting once you know the third quality of, of our experience for the Buddha is not self emptiness not self and I I I swear I sat in a in a in an <coughs> argument that went like this. You don't have a self. I do have a self. You don't have a self. I do have a self. <laughs> you know, 
So the idea is, isn't to hold on to any of those things. They're tools for awakening and releasing. So the dreams themselves, there's nothing wrong with the dreams. You know, it's, it's the, um, you know, 880 up to 580 over to 680 back to 80. You know, that's a, that's a, a vision, a mind map. Uh, that's a tool that's used. But sometimes these dreams, you know, we can't let go, and when they don't, when they don't manifest, we suffer. And that's really the problem with them. So I'm not sure whether I addressed... <laughs> well, what, I, what I'm uh, dealing with is this idea between the, t- the tension between dreaming big and tempering it with ah. reality. And that, that to cut off the dream by focusing on reality is kind of limiting. Well, the dream is also reality. It's real as a dream. Dalai Lama said, we're going to do everything we can. I will do my best to free the Tibetans. But if we're not successful, well, I will have done my best. So the idea is not to not have a dream. But to let's remember it's a dream. Uh, you know, people blow themselves up in marketplaces out of dreams, out of big dreams, you know. Isn't that the jihadist uh, vision is a big dream? Isn't, isn't that thinking big? People will create all kinds of suffering out of a big dream. So the idea is to be mindful that it's a dream, not to abandon it. I'm going to get to Sacramento the most expedient way possible on a Saturday afternoon. I'm going to listen to traffic. It's not a bad thing to do. But to remember that it's a dream. And that, uh, you know, and and to be able to let it go. You do have a self. I don't have a self. Or, no, it's the other way around. Um, Which, does that make sense? So mindfulness, mindfulness enhances our our vision, our dream, what, we, what we're trying to do by, by providing perspective so that we don't get lost in something that could be harmful. We can see what, what, uh, what it's doing. Is that, is, that a, is that helpful? They work together. Okay, you guys, you know what to do. <laughs> Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.